The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome back to MASH Minute. We're a Movies by Minute podcast analyzing the 1970 Robert Altman film MASH one minute at a time. Oh boy, are we analyzing it one minute at a time. I'm Tierney Steele, and we will be joined by Megan Coleman later, but I'm just gonna content myself by talking to my old pal, Sully. Hey, wh- where, where is Megan? She's, she's gonna do the broad jump, coach. She's not, she's not in the, uh, <laughs> someone shot her arm with something, and uh, yeah, so she, she's not there. I would like to make it clear to any of Megan's co-workers or employers that are listening that we are making a joke about something that happened in MASH. Megan does not shoot drugs, <laughs> at least as far as I'm aware. That's what made it so funny. <laughs> See, it's always funnier once you explain the joke. Exactly. That's all the best jokes are done that way. So yeah, I'm uh, Paul Francis Sullivan. and My nickname is Sully. I've been on a couple of episodes of this one. I am the host of the Locked On MLB podcast. Uh, previously, it was the Sully Baseball podcast and the Sully Baseball Daily podcast. And coming up soon, uh, not long after this episode drops, I will have my own Movie by Minute podcast, which will be the Bull Durham Minute. And I'm very happy to be doing that. And I'm going to be having uh, a certain tyranny will be a er- very early guest <laughs> on the show. Very early guest. It's my favorite baseball movie of all time, and it's also my favorite love triangle of all time. And one of the reasons I'm really thrilled that you're going to be on the show, Tierney, is why? Why am I really thrilled that you're going to be on the show? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. I am seeing it for the first time. (laughs) I am stunned that Tierney Steele, who who loves baseball, Mm -hmm. uh, loves comedy, loves 80s films, for Christ's sake, she did goddamn Return to Oz. (laughs) God damn it. And I, 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 I think enjoys a nice romance involving, uh, you know, people doing the grown up. And uh, <laughs> it is a much less misogynist film than, than uh, the one she's currently breaking down. And I was like, hey, I'm doing Bull Durham. I know you would probably love Bull Durham. And she's like, I've never seen it. And so I'm like, oh, then we're doing this. <laughs> I sent you the first, I believe it was first three minutes of the movie with no context. Yep, that's all I've seen so far. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk to you about that and then have you return on the show to get your thoughts. And now I'm returning on this show to give my thoughts on, the, on MASH. Which, for all that we recognize the misogyny and the flaws, uh, some of which are going to come up even tomorrow, uh, you love this movie. Oh, I do. I do. And I, um, <laughs> I, I really do. And I, I really, uh, I have a special place in my heart for this. I have a specific question I'm going to bring up t- for tomorrow's podcast. Cause I have a thing that I was actually wondering about rewatching these minutes. If a scene, if a scene would have had the same impact to me, if I didn't have years and years of watching the show first, I was a big fan of the TV show. Uh, I was in on it when I was like 10, 11 years old which is weird <laughs> when I think about it. But you know, 10, 11 years old, it was on TV 38 in Boston twice a day. And 
I watched it. And two things that are weird looking back on it. First of all, the fact I watched it when they had the laugh track. I mm. like that most of the, most of, I guess, the DVD versions of the laugh track removed. And it's so much better without the laugh track. But I'm like, did we believe that there were bleachers out in the hills of Malibu? <laughs> But they, the audience was not allowed to be in during the surgery scenes. I mean, like, it was so strange. My friend Brian Tucker, who's a writer for SNL, I name dropped him, but I remember he said this, I want to attribute it. And he was saying, he wrote a thing saying how laugh tracks were so ubiquitous and that we, it's weird to look at them in retrospect that even a show like the Flintstones had a laugh track. Like, where hmm. where were the, the audience in that? Were they in Toontown? Who, how is there a studio audience for the Flintstones? And yet no one questioned it at the time. No, because it was like, how do we know it's funny? And a, f and a show that came out right around the time that MASH was ending was, that has a, there's a tangential link to Bull Durham there, is Police Squad, which was made by the guys who did Airplane. And it was mind-bogglingly funny show when it came out. But it flopped because it looked like a cop show, but there was no laugh track. Everything was played straight. And the, the tangential connection is one of the writers of the show is Robert Wall. But, of course, they took Police Squad and Leslie Nielsen from Police Squad, and they turned that into a movie, and that became The Naked Gun. Oh! But the TV show came out, like, five or six years beforehand. And it was one of the first shows I ever binge-watched, because they released them on VHS in, like, 86 or 87. We were still living in Massachusetts. And my brother and I was like, there was the guys who made Airplane made a TV show? And we watched it, and it, we were falling off the couch laughing. I don't know if it holds up as well, but at the time, it was really funny, and there was no laugh track. It was, if you weren't just casually watching it, you would say, oh, this is a police drama, you know, with Leslie Nielsen as Frank Drebin. Uh, we were all so excited when they said, they're going to make a Police Squad movie, and that's why the title is <laughs> The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. That's what that, that title refers to. But that show did not have a laugh track, and the Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams and Pat Proft and Robert Wall, all these wonderfully gifted comedic people were working on the show, uh, have said that one of the problems that people had was pe they didn't have a laugh track. How did people know it was funny? And now imagine if you watched The Office or uh, Modern Family or Parks and Rec or any show like that. Imagine if that had a laugh track and how obstructive, mm -hmm. how bizarre. You would lose all the, the awkward silences. You would lose some of the nuance of it. And, and you get that when you watch MASH again. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you the other thing that was, that was wild because TV 38 in Boston used to show MASH twice a day. And because there was, you know, the, you, you could watch them in any order. <laughs> you, it, it wasn't <laughs> like a serialized show. Uh, there was a couple of one part or two parts, but not many. And so, like, you would wait. The, the show would begin and you would never know, okay, is this an early or an older one? And you can usually tell by the size of Alan Alda's font. <laughs> if it was a later episode, it was bigger. If it was an earlier episode, it was smaller. I think the music changed at one point, too. The shot of the helicopters where the title MASH pops on changed. They used a different shot in the later years, which actually, <laughs> um, I think they used a worse shot. I think the shot in the original version was a little more dynamic. And then, of course, they when Radar left the show, they you know it was a zoom in from the behind Radar's head, and when after he left the show, they just cut to the helicopters. But yeah, and, and so there was, but you could watch it. Oh, it's a Henry Blake episode. Oh, it's a Potter episode. You know. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, but it was never a Smith episode. No, never was a never was a Smith episode, and it was never a uh, a Leslie episode. Leslie appeared in the pilot uh, and in a yep. couple episodes, but she was. 
credit that in her name in the TV show, the few episodes she was in, was Leslie Storch. Yeah, they combined those two. And I think she looks more like Storch, but that's analysis for future podcasts. <laughs> Uh, I posted a thing on the the post up ward on uh, on Facebook where I was showing my favorite images of the intro of the pilot episode where you had Doctor Jones as we're referring to him played by Tim Brown who played Corporal Judson in the movie. <laughs> you had Boone who was played by Bud Court in the film is played by Bruno Kirby, which is really weird. You had a different actor playing Father Mulcahy, and you had uh, Leslie in the tent with Colonel Blake. And I was like, oh, we could have had Leslie. Leslie should have been a character in the show. Enjoying some bubbly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And of course, yeah, it's, it's a shame they didn't put her in the show because maybe the show would have been a hit. Maybe the show would have had some legs. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm gonna make Longevity. Yeah, I'm making suggestions for a show that lasted 11 years, won every Emmy on the planet, and is one of the most beloved shows of all time. Yeah, let, let me give you, let, let's Sully tell you how they went. I got some notes. Speaking of notes, yeah, you know you love my transition. Oh, you're the you're no Pete Mummer, but I I, I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we start with Smith saying he's ready for the broad jump, and Hammond gets to whack some more people with his hat. <laughs> gets a lot of use out of that, and then we cut to the mash sideline. We're sad, but what's most important is that Blake name drops. Newt Rockney. There's something that is a little strange in because you all were mentioning in one of the previous episodes about how many people in this football scene, uh, including Superbug, are uncredited in the mm -hmm. ending of the film. Well, Rick Thielen plays the Hammond's kind of assistant. Aiden the aide? Yeah, he... <laughs> He's na he's not he doesn't have a name. He's not in the opening credits. He is in the montage at the end when they list the whole cast. I do not see him listed in IMDb, even though he is credited in the film. He's uh, he's under uncredited. Yeah, but like in he, IMDb. But he is credited. He they, he's listed in the uh he's listed in the uh when they list all the actors at the end of the film, you know, starring Donald Sutherland, yeah. Elliot Gould. Robert Duvall, and then of course they have to show Sally Kellman in the shower again. But it's it's <laughs> odd that that like he is so. I like his. I like. I, I I think there is something to your thought that he might be in love with General Hammond, but he's also pretty much he's dressed like General MacArthur. Yeah. Who so famously was fired in uh, while trying to lead in Korea there. But I mean, the broad jump coach, the super bug, is still. He's so earnest. He's so earnest. And by the way, one of the weird details of the game here is the MASH sideline is the one in front of the bleachers where you see people sitting watching the game, including a guy in a head bandage. But the evac team is in front of the hill where there's just a couple of people staggered around. Some with giant flags. <laughs> so you would think that the evac is the home team. You would think that they would have the, you know, the, you know, the bigger crowd behind them, but. They've got the more professional-looking cheerleaders. I'll give them that. That's true. That's true. Before we get to those cheerleaders, I have to take just a little moment to worship at the altar of Notre Dame football. Okay. It gets better. Sully doesn't know this yet, but by the time you, dear listeners, are hearing this, you will understand how excited I was to find out that New Rockney was born in, Norwe in Norway. He is a Norwegian. Perhaps he swept away someone <laughs> at some point. And, of course, Newt Rockney, I believe the film Newt Rockney All-American had already been made by the time 
this film came out. So that he was not just the famous coach in Notre Dame, but also was part of the uh, popular culture at the time in the 1950s. That could be wrong. Uh, if only, if only there was an internet I can look that up on. If only, if only. Well, he passed away in 1931, but there were multiple films about him. And I didn't look what years they are, but I'm sure some of them predate this film. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of the one that featured Ronald Reagan as George Gipp. Oh, God, that's right. Uh, uh, that came out in 1940. Yeah, really. 1940. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. The infamous speech, which I've already done on this show, is one for the Gipper. You can look it up on YouTube. He builds better than I did. I'll give him that. <laughs> and then on a purely personal note, I'm dying. He convert. He met his wife while the two were employed at Cedar Point. Shout out to people from Indiana Jones Minute. He converted to Catholicism. Why I am so excited. My grandfather went to Notre Dame University. Mm-hmm had no interest in playing football himself, did meet the captain of the football team at one point and said his hand basically was the size of my grandfather's head. Like, just a massive a man. And then he went on to be in the Navy during Korea. When he got back from... When he left the Naval Service, he was like, well, now what do I do? So he decided to get his MBA at Indiana University in Bloomington, which is where he met my grandma... And in talking to her and talking to other friends, he decided to convert. And he also did it at South, but and he did it as a surprise to her so that when they went home to northern Indiana and they went to church and he went up for communion and she was like, what? And he's like, yep, surprise, I'm a Catholic now. And so hearing that he was baptized in the log chapel on Notre Dame's campus in November 1925 made my little Indiana and heart sing. <laughs> I'm so proud of you and I'm so happy for you that you, you uh, uh, I followed most of that. That's a great story. That's wonderful. And I'm glad and, and I'm glad that that's why you're a uh, an enthusiast in Notre Dame football. I don't really have a college football team. I, I went to NYU, the Violets. <laughs> Uh, no, no more fierce fighting team than the Violets of New York University. Uh, I did get my uh, master's degree from Washington State, where the Cougars do indeed have a uh, football team, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> master's de- master's degrees are different than undergrad degrees. When you're undergrad, you're like, oh, yeah. you're I'm here for the whole experience of being in college. Let's go to the game and everything like that. Your master's degree is I need to improve my career. Whether <laughs> whether a team that happens to play on this campus wins or not does not really affect me. Uh, besides, yeah. I'm such a big baseball fan that when by the time the season ends, I, I have a hard time getting into football because it's on once a week, and I, I hate that. You know, there's sometimes I need to have a team. I need my team playing during the week. I sometimes need a ball game on. And like, oh, let's wait for the big game on Sunday. On Sundays, yeah. Sundays I, I spend with my kids. And that's, you know, the time, you know, the weekends are, are you know, our daddy time. So it's like. It's too much pressure on one day. I hate that. But one thing I do like is that Newt Rockney is known for popularizing the forward pass. He wasn't the inventor of it, obviously, but he was so famous that the fact that his team did it became a whole thing. And I wanted to bring that up because people thought the forward pass was not football. How awful. How could people be doing this? Now, it's most of what people do. So guess what? 
football can adapt and football can change. And I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if it underwent some sort of revolution now so that it could maybe be, oh, I don't know, slightly less dangerous for the players. Because as it stands right now, it is ridiculous. Like I've said it before. No one should be playing football. I'm sorry if you're a massive football fan. It should not exist in its current current state. Like, it's just not, it is not good for humans or other living beings. I completely agree with you. And so there are changes you could make. I mean, you don't have to go as far as my proposal that we just all switch to flag football, but there are things you could change. And people are like, well, then it won't be football. And like, that's what they said about the forward pass. And I don't see anyone complaining now. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who talked about how when home run totals skyrocketed in the 1920s, uh, there was a bunch of people saying this isn't baseball anymore. Ring Lardner Sr., the father of the screenwriter of MASH, was a famous sports writer who said, I stopped writing baseball when they decided Babe Ruth should be a hitter, and I realized this isn't baseball anymore. So the impurity of Babe Ruth drove him away. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's very sad, actually. Yeah. And his son wound up winning an Oscar for the screenplay of MASH, which is the film that we're talking about. Yes, it is. So when the gun goes off, Smith assumes his starting stance and plows into the cheerleader. I got to say one thing. I used to show this film to my friends. There was a couple, there are two films that I really enjoyed showing my friends on VHS in the 80s. One was Jaws. The other was MASH. And Jaws because we, a lot of us didn't see Jaws when it came out we were too young and we all associate steven spielberg with et and sort of almost like he's this majestic walt disney type filmmaker and i said no you got to see it and then there were like a bunch of jaws sequels of which everyone equated oh jaws that's just the film of the shark eats people and everything no no you got to see the first one it's mm-hmm. it's and then i have some friends of mine who are friends that still remain on my Facebook friends who went to my 11th birthday party in Massachusetts and we popped in Jaws on the VHS and none of them had seen it. And by the end of the movie, they're all looking at me going, I think that's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. You know, Seth Morrison, one of my friends at the thing there was like, to this day said, I can't watch Jaws without thinking of being at your birthday party. Aww. And the other one was MASH for the people who knew I was introduced by, by my brother's friend, Paul Connolly, uh, in Massachusetts, who was a big, we were all big MASH fans. I said, have you ever seen the movie? I said, no. I said, I got to show you the movie. And it blew me away. And after repeating viewers, I, I liked it more and more. And I would show it to people. And some people didn't like it. Some people did like it. But the this joke of him getting in the, the starter position and running into the cheerleaders always got a gigantic laugh because it was perfectly set up. We know they're not paying attention to him, but it's it's in the background, but it's it's in focus enough. And the gun goes off and he runs into the cheerleaders and it's just a good, solid, dumb joke. And the total non-reactions from everyone around him to me, that just adds to the absurdity. Like, no one helps the cheerleaders. No one's just like, okay. By the way, I want to go back. Can I go back to the MASH uh, bench for a second there? Sure. We see there's Father Mulcahy, who has his custom-made cross hat on. Blake, of course, has to have his fishing lures on because he may go fishing while coaching a football team. <laughs> Dr. Jones, which I'll go on mm-hmm. calling him Dr. Jones, uh, has his perfect disguise on a towel. <laughs> Now, the cheerleaders behind, we have Leslie, we have Margaret, we have Storch on the right, right? And is that Nako McCarthy? Is is that? I think it is. Let me... Yes, that's Nako. That's Nako. Okay. 
Yeah. So it's Leslie, Houlihan, Nako, and Storch. Yeah. And Nako was called Nako in the book because she could knock your block off. She was like a big, tough woman. And mm-hmm. they almost cast an African-American actress in the role of Nako. Uh, but instead, they went with uh, Tamara Horrocks, who was yet another figure of the San Francisco improv scene where they raided. Mm-hmm. Now, sitting screen left of Father Mulcahy is someone. Yeah. I do not know who that is, but they're sitting next to Rene Aubergenois and right in front of Indus Arthur. I don't know who that is. Yeah. And his hair's too shaggy to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know that face. And I've seen That's I've so... seen MASH a lot. Yeah. One of the players. And I do love that this shot perfectly proves my point that Mulcahy's hat is customized mm-hmm. for his priesthood because we see Radar wearing a very similar, but that's the mash cross on his hat. And the you, red cross. And you have, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Ken Primus character. Uh, Sidemen. Si- si- is sitting far to the uh, to the right, sitting okay. next to Dr. Jones. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at Sidemen. Radar has it on when they come out of the, um, when they go into the locker room. Okay, there you go. All right, so uh, Superbug yeah. runs into the uh, runs into the cheerleaders, and one of the cheerleaders looks like she's laughing. She is. I guess she is. So let's go to the locker room. We see the hierarchy there, and if there's anything that shows the Robert Altman version of Henry Blake, it's this one: is <laughs> that it's he's well intentioned, would like to be the leader, but nobody really listens to him as the leader. You know, he starts to give his speech. Men, ever since the dark days before Pearl Harbor, and that, you know, Trapper immediately just, he does get Boone, you got a towel. <laughs> and you see Boone, he, he throws a towel. Yeah. You see that there's a hierarchy there. The Boone and Radar are kind of the water boys, the towel boys there. Yeah. I think that's Ugly John, who's there next to, in front of Hawkeye. Volmer there in uniform. Oh, 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 and you also have uh, Father Mulcahy. I'm going to call. I'm just going to call him Father Mulcahy because I know not everyone yep. loves his nickname. Father Mulcahy has a beer. Oh yeah. So Hawkeye and Father Mulcahy are drinking in the clubhouse. I, those look like, but yeah, they're Budweiser. They're, they're having some Bud. Yep. If you just are ever having a bad day, just watch Father Mulcahy sip his beer in here. Yeah, he's so he's it's adorable. Yeah, he's so not a beer chugger, but he is. He's enjoying it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's enjoying his beer. By the way, I have a question. And you may have brought this up in another episode. Forgive me. I didn't. I don't have the transcript of every one of the episodes. Ugly John appeared in a handful of episodes of the TV show before he was written out. And he was played by a British actor, if I'm not mistaken, on the TV show. Uh, I mean... I but, but like I, I, I remember for some reason Ugly John had a British accent. Like, why the hell is there a British guy and an American army? I always thought it was still the Australian accent from here. And the thing was, they wanted to show that it's not just Americans, it's the UN. And then someone pointed out like, but that makes no sense. Someone had the exact same thought as you. Well, there you go. Yeah, it just it was like, and maybe that's why they wrote him off. Like it was too good. I think so. I'm pretty sure that's what I read. And the movie is played by Jaws co-screenwriter Carl Gottlieb, and who also plays the uh, Amity Islands newspaper editor, Harry Meadows. He co-wrote the screenplay and later co-wrote uh, a bunch of things with Steve Martin, including The Jerk and the man and the man with two brains he and steve martin used to be writers on the smothers brothers together and he is now 
Uh, he's like very big in the Writers Guild politics. He hasn't had as many writing credits, but he is ubiquitous in terms of whatever, if there's ever a making of Jaws, he is there and he's always usually very funny because he Aww. he was brought in to basically rewrite all the dialogue in Jaws and create improvs on the set. And there was so much downtime on the making of Jaws because of the shark malfunctioning. It was one of the blessings in disguise. It allowed him to come up with things like the, the barrels and the, the, the dots and everything that, that made the shark scarier than a big rubber shark in the water. But also a lot of the character development with Quint and Chief Brody and Matt Hooper. And one of the lines that came up in one of the improvs that he kind of worked with the actors on was the line, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> that was that came from an improvisation by Roy Scheider. And he said, I always get credited for that line. I wish I came up with that line. But in a way, he did because they created the, <laughs> the improv. He facilitated it. <laughs> right. I just have to say, because I had to look it up. It was going to drive me nuts. I guess it was British because in the TV show, Ugly John is played by John Orchard, mm-hmm. who is definitely British. I mean, very, just, yeah. Anyway, I had to toss it out into the universe. Poor Henry will never get to know his story. Yeah, it's right, because he didn't get to... He didn't get to finish it with Hammond either because he was too busy looking at the uh, the model helicopter. helicopter. <laughs> it's a helicopter, and like, did you press the bats? Oh, the bats, the bats! You and, 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 and I think and he says to he says to he says to did he say to Doctor Jones? Uh, I thought it was Hawkeye, but oh, I don't. He does no, 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 no. He looks at he looks right at Doctor Jones and sort of oh. pats him on the shoulder pads and finish the speech as if he knows his story there. <laughs> And they open the door, and there is Nako and Margaret and Leslie and Storch doing mash him, smash him, kick, what is it? Hit him in the mortar. Hit him with a mortar, kick him off the hill, mash him, mash him, kill, kill, kill. Well, there you go. That's not a bit. I've heard worse. Yeah. Oh, mash him, smash him, still. Kill, kill, kill. Sorry. Now, there's an interesting thing. I know you mentioned this before, that in the original screenplay, that after the shower scene, that was the equivalent of Frank Burns punching out Hawkeye. That mm-hmm. that got Frank kicked off the camp, off, off of there. And that when she said, I'm going to resign my commission, she wound up resigning her commission. She was out of the movie. You mentioned that. that um, it was Sally Kellerman who said, hey, can I stick around? And Robert, <laughs> and Robert was like, sure. And so they didn't know really what to do with her. So they had her stup duke. And mm-hmm. now she's like an idiot. She's like a booger eater. Yeah. This incredibly smart, dynamic woman in the first half of the movie, and in the football scene, she's dumber than a bag of hammers. But I will give Sally Kellerman this. She seems to be having a lot more fun as the head cheerleader than she did as the not fun at all. I mean, she's, she, that's not fair. She seems to be having fun the entire movie. Like when she seduces Frank and when she screams, this is in a hospital, it's an insane sound. She's, she's putting her back into it, but she seems to be like, all right, I'm still in the movie. So I'm going to have fun with this. And so it doesn't make sense that she's suddenly an idiot. And yet she's still really funny, which kind of to me, it doesn't totally forgive turning her into a nincompoop, but. Look at her. She's so she's getting so into it. You know, when she yells later, she's a like, Judson, kill him. You know. Yeah, she she like climbs over somebody. She's it's the emotional roller coaster of Hulahan watching football is almost is more fun to watch than the football. <laughs> now, 
I, I have to say something here because they they do. Henry says there's a time and a place for everything. Damn it, and leaves mm-hmm. with and leaves with radar. And radar always just looks like he's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And the clip you gave me of the scene has the subtitles on it, which I guess you have to have in a Robert Altman film. (laughs) Now, for the first, I don't know, 40 years of my life, when she opens the door and starts yelling another chair into there, it says here's right, Bo, Bo, and everyone goes, Bo, Bo. I, for the first 40 years of my life, thought she was saying, Boone. I thought she was like yelling a cheer to Boone for reasons I never. Why are they cheering to Boone of Aww, all characters? Like, like there's that'd be po- there's poor sweet Boone who's always in over his head and suddenly, oh, let's cheer, let's give Boone a cheer now. And I see Bo Bo, and this part of my heart sank a little bit. Like it was like, oh, like they had a special cheer for everyone there, including Boone. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know you broke you broke my heart. I'm like I'm like Michael in Cuba, realizing that it was Fredo who betrayed me. My, my, you broke my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, uh, no cheering in the script originally, and no halftime speech, and uh, breaks my heart. Although in the script, they're uh, ex Cleveland tackle, so there we go. That's my little bit. How is there not a website where you can buy the white sweatshirts that with mash and the cross on it and the hat with the the red cross on? How how are those Seriously. not? I mean, I'm sure back in the day you could, but I, I made post on the uh, post step ward. There was a in the Christmas of 1983, the same year of the last episodes of Mash. My brother and I were at the peak of our Mash watching. One of the presents that my brother and I got were uh, MASH pajamas. They were green pajamas that had MASH 4077 with the Red Cross symbol on a breast pocket on the pajamas. And there exists somewhere on Instagram, my brother and me, only only my brother Ted is wearing it. Uh, But yeah, that was the level of MASH fans we were. We wanted MASH pajamas for Christmas. My heart just grew three sizes. (laughs) I I thought you'd appreciate that. If anyone in the world would imagine, would appreciate <laughs> wanting, like opening up on Christmas morning, opening up the box and being so thrilled that there was mashed pajamas. Now, now I, I may post this on the post up. I mean, who knows? I'm going to wait for this episode to drop so I don't spoil this. But, you know, there used to be mash action figures, you know, like Star Wars figures or G.I. Joe. I'm or- looking at one right now. <laughs> Okay, okay, because I I had a picture of a Father Mulcahy action figure that is the same size and make as if they could play alongside, you know, my Star Wars figures or, you know, my Batman and Superman figures. Like, like what kid is like, awesome, Father Mulcahy with, with action blessing cross, you know, or something like, you know. I want to make Father Mulcahy fly the Millennium Falcon now so bad. He could, he could. Yeah. What's funny is I discovered Star Wars, I say late, I was 10, but it felt late. And my cousin's third dad was super into it, which is why my dad assumed I'd seen it and didn't bother to show it to me. They had the Kenner Millennium Falcon. And I remember being in their basement playing with toys and action figures and being like, that's the coolest toy I've ever seen in my life. I knew nothing about Star Wars. I didn't know it was the Millennium Falcon. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew... This is the greatest toy I've ever had the privilege to touch. The idea of seeing a Star Wars thing without context, which is like, which I don't understand because I'm like, it's always been in my life. Star Wars came out when I was five. My brother has still in his home lots of like pictures. He writes for Riverdale now, but he has written for like Star Trek Discovery and 
Supergirl and all these sort of shows. And, and You're naming three out of the only ten shows I watch, so... <laughs> well, then you should have got my brother on the we goddamn... We get along well. <laughs> but um, he used to have, next to his television, he had the Kenner Walker, you know, the, 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 you know <laughs> where you can put the ADAT driver and commander in the head and everything. And it was, and it was the most majestic toy. We loved playing with the, the Walker... And of course, the walkers are the most intimidating and you know terrifying of the of the imperial weapons that they had. I think, and so imposing in Empire Strikes Back, and that which came out when I was eight, and seeing those was unbelievable. You know, he's a grown he's a grown ass man with a at this point. This is in like 2011. Grown ass man with a, a a walker next to his TV, and someone like his wife's cousin, little cousin, or some someone I don't know, like was came over to that his home and saw the walker. Obviously, had never never seen Star Wars before, and said, oh, a robot dog. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, robot dog. Sort of takes away the, the imposing fear that you have. Makes me love it more. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Oh, who's a good walker? Who's a good walker? Don't, don't trip over the wires. No, no, you're a good walker. There you go. There My you have God, it. God, if Darth Vader had a heart, <laughs> that would have been it. So we've talked about uh, Mash Pajamas, uh, My Brother's Walker, uh, Carl Gottlieb's improv skills on the set of Jaws, and uh, whether or not Father Mulcahy was a good beer drinker, uh, the <laughs> birthday parties where we showed the movie Jaws, and a phenomenal sight gag of Superbug running into the cheerleaders. Yeah, it's a good minute. It's good. That's all, that's, I'm so, I think that's all I got. And at the end of the minute, we see Blake and Radar entering the evac team's locker room. And you see Radar kind of shuffling in. He's being steered down by number 88. And we'll continue this tomorrow. So uh, Megan did not make it to today's episode, but she will return. She's active on our social media. So Sully, you mentioned our Mash Minute post-up listeners board. That's where we, it's a Facebook group. We post pictures. We talk Mash. We talk things in the world of Mash. It's a good time. We also have a Twitter and an Instagram at Mash Minute. I was going to say, if you've completely given up on social media, you can always email us, but it's a Gmail. So mm, whatever. Tech controls our lives. Mashminute at gmail.com. All linking back to the website mashminute.com. I've now said Mashminute more times than I ever cared to. Sully, when you were last on this, it was a on this show. It was a long time ago. Yeah, and you weren't even able to plug Locked On MLB yet. <laughs> no, it's true. I hadn't officially signed on to do Locked On. So Locked On MLB, I did the whole season, and uh, now I'm going to be. We're still going to be posting on Locked On MLB in the off season, but I'm going to be thrilled in the new year to be doing Boulder a minute, uh, and I'm just going through it minute by minute finding the details and the minutiae, just falling in love with this movie all over again. And I can't wait to hear your takes on a film that you haven't seen. I was going to say, I have like my hands ready to clamp over my ears. Like, no spoilers, no spoilers. No, no, I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not spoiling a damn thing. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I've watched the first three minutes. And actually, I didn't know something about Bull Durham because when I guested on Escape from New York, I learned about the writing of the movie. Right. And the Kurt Russell connection. Yeah. But that's all I've got. That's all I know. I swear. All you know is the guy who wasn't in the movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> A wonderful basis for podcasting. All right. 
Well, thanks for joining us today. And yes, we'll be back tomorrow with another another sight gag. Less explicable than Superbugs. <laughs> uh...